There we go. What's happening? Hey. Man? How you doing? Good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Can't complain. Nice rainy day outside, but it is what it is. How's it on your end? Uh, it's actually sunny for once uh, in <laughs> Vancouver. We actually get rain eight months out of the year. That's gross, man. That's gross. You must be just coming out of sort of your like worst weather period at the moment as well, right? Well, we actually, um, the gyms opened back up a while ago, a couple months back. Uh, but I mean, the personal training and coaching business is still kind of like on the slower end. So it's, 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 it's a bit like harder for some personal change to get clients just because some aren't uh, willing to have masks on. Uh, some are of still course. very skeptical of it. And uh, we do have, uh, unfortunately, still some anti-mask rallies um, just all over the world right now. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tough one, especially like when you don't want to necessarily have to like be divisive to your clients and go, all right, like obviously everyone's entitled to beliefs and that, but it's tough when it it ruins it for the whole because some people aren't doing what they should be doing and the like. And then it just it further perpetuates things taking longer to get better and better. And then you and your business get caught in the middle. Oh, for sure. And uh, small businesses are suffering, of course, uh, all over the world, actually. And the world is just a pretty messed up place right now. Uh, but hopefully it'll get better with the vaccine, with everything else. 100%. Do you think Canada as a whole is sort of trending upward or downward in terms of like the... Oh, 100% downward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're actually, it was announced that we were uh, in our third wave right now for COVID. And it's it's sad to see, but it wasn't uh, unexpected. I think North yeah. America itself is pretty... Um, Rampant. Different. Yeah. 100%. 100%. <laughs> but I mean, for you guys in Australia, you were completely opened up basically except yeah. for the cases right we pretty much have as of this friday so as of tomorrow we don't require masks in retail and the like and that was no. one of that our like, afl capacities are back to i think 75 to 85 percent so that's jumping right up so like live sports mm. are back in that sense so mm. i think we're only having the odd one or two cases come in through the quarantine system in terms of hoteling and the like that that's our only real case numbers. So there's nothing like local community transitions. So we've done quite well to, to lock it down in that regard. Like we were in lockdown for probably like last year in some sort of stage from about yeah. end of March all the way through to September, October, November. So it, mm -hmm. it was a long slog. And obviously that sort of varying stages of lockdown throughout that time that presented different challenges. Like in some, it was quite relaxed where it's more of just a all right like no 15 massive people gatherings for training and the like and then got a bit stricter and a bit stricter as sort of waves came and went and we ended up in a stage four lockdown which was essentially the harshest sort of stipulation yeah. put on you where you could only do online training you couldn't see your clients in person and like i get it at the same time it, it's tough for some people that maybe don't have the body awareness to perform movements like that yeah. get the most out of it as they would in a person session or no equipment no space set up at home that would be suitable for something like that and it presents another sort of challenge to the trainer as well obviously as to how well you can bring the energy through zoom like it is mm -hmm. if you've never experienced it it is quite a hard thing and like 
<clears throat> I'd done a few Zoom sessions before that sort yeah. of time period, but I'd never really had to like jump in and like make my core business through Zoom. And it was definitely a bit of a learning curve. Like I feel I've come out the other side much better than I went in, but it presented some unique challenges. Like have you mm -hmm. had to do many Zooms sort of over this period with clients or anything? So yeah, I had to do a couple and uh, thankfully they themselves had uh, like dumbbells in their home and everything. Um, it made it easier, but at the same time, it was kind of hard not being there in person. Because cause, like I have to like tell them to put their camera at an angle where I could see how they're doing the movements and how they're performing and everything, right? And it's... I don't, I don't know, like, it, it gave me some time to actually, like, put out articles during that time, and I've been just, like, I think I put out, like, six, and I think you did, too, during yeah. your guys' lockdown, um, and, like, I didn't have the luxury of equipment, also because people were buying them, and then, at the same time, they were selling, like, reselling oh. them at, like, insane prices, for example, like, the Walmart by my ridiculous. house, oh, 100%, like, Walmart, Walmart, for example, they were selling dumbbells, like a 20-pound dumbbell for like $400. Yeah. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's like, disgusting how they're scalping it, for sure. We had places like gyms that were basically closing down to do renos on their facilities in that mm. time. So they were mm -hmm. selling off all these plates and like and a used metal rubber-coated plate, mm. just like a 20-kilo was something ludicrous, like $180, $200 for like a used rubber one, whereas new Rogue plates were under 150 So you could get a new Rogue bumper for cheaper than you would get a used <laughs> metal rubber-coated plate. Like, That's insanity. so and ridiculous. It, and it got to the point where I still was buying those a few of those metal rubber-coated <laughs> plates because the demand was just so high that you couldn't get anything without paying over retail. So that's when you set up your uh, little home gym setup. Yeah, so yeah. I started pretty much getting that going when we went into our first lockdown as mm -hmm. of the end of March. So it's, sort of, it, it's still coming together piece by piece now, but I sort of, I got the, the rack, bar, plates, and then started introducing some dumbbells. I had a bunch of kettlebells and dumbbells that I already used for PT, yeah. bands, and then just bits and pieces like accessories, like landmine press, mm -hmm. like different handles and the like. And then it, it slowly comes together and like my... And sort of goal of that would be to have like a fully furnished like home studio i wouldn't call it a gym mm -hmm. like at my own sort of place but yeah like as a alternative to bring clients into that space if i wanted to oh for sure for sure a bit small but looking more long term that would definitely be one of my goals to make that space into something i can coach out of as well so like it's all it's all feeding forward towards that so i don't look at it as i'm just buying it for myself Mm -hmm. Even if I'm just using it to justify the purchases, <laughs> I'm using it to, to for the clients. To I think that's such a good way of going, like going forward as well. Especially like uh, I'm not sure. I, we 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 talked about this before. Um, how Vancouver, there's not a lot of gym spaces that allow external mm. trainers, and uh, everyone's very like they're keeping to their own trainers. And that's a good thing. I understand that from a, a business per perspective. But for people like me who are private. Uh, it makes it much, much harder. 100%. And I'm What's not sure. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> like, what is the situation in Australia right now or uh, where you are in Victoria? I think it, from my experience, it, it really differs sort of space to space. Like, there is a lot of 
small sort of gyms that are one, two, three offs where they're not big like chains as well as mm-hmm. the big chains in the market. Like, do you have like any kind of fitness, Zap and yeah. Snap and all, all those sorts of ones? Yeah, so they're, they're still players in the space as well, as well as a lot of independents that are smaller and have sub five venues for a lack of a better definition there. And it really depends sort of space to space. Like the, the gym that I was previously working out of had a sort of staff perspective on it where I wasn't mm. necessarily an external mm. trainer. Like I worked for the gym. The gym paid me commission sort of per session as well mm. as I do like staff hours where I am essentially on shift doing rostered tasks and the like, like calling people, speaking to people, doing program shows, people that come in. That's and rough. they would also PT. So like it would work in the sense of I'd put my like time card in, I'd get paid for that versus the the more sort of big franchise model of like I'm paying X amount of rent, I'm expected oh, to yeah. do all these tasks and duties for free and mm. then I charge my client and obviously you see that come back in. So I wouldn't really say one, um, from my experience, obviously mm. I haven't gone that full corporate franchise route to see what that is like from a long perspective, but... I think both have pros and cons either way. Like your ability to scale up if you're doing mm-hmm. quite well when you're charging rent there, provided it's obviously a fixed number and it doesn't scale based on how well you're doing at the time. Yeah. I think that's quite a good option if you're doing quite well and able to, to see that sort of value come back in terms of like obviously the trend line of at what point is commission better when I'm not paying rent if I'm doing a sub five session to week or something like that. Like you're, you're better off not paying rent then. You, otherwise, yeah, for sure. Three, four hundred dollars in rent, you're going to be losing money. Versus yeah. you're, if you're doing 25 sessions a week, you're probably going to do a lot better there than them taking, say, 50% commission or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what about your experience? Yeah, what have you found? Because you've worked at a few different places, right? Well, it was all like uh, private for me, like from the start. Mm-hmm. And, um, I did try going to a big corporate gym. Uh, one we have here is Steve Nash Fitness. Um, but after the first day, it just wasn't for me. Um, because because like the first day, they told me to go on the floor and get five uh, reference numbers, right? Or like try and sell PT. Like they, yeah. oh, sorry, not five, ten. And people <laughs> there were less than happy to talk to me because you know when you have your earphones and you just want to concentrate uh, and then work out and like i basically had to tell them to like take out their (laughs) music and then to say like hey can i get your number for da 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 for this and then what's even worse is like they do a lot of calling to you like to the number that you give them and they call like once a week twice a week that sort of thing yeah and it's tough because that sort of perspective like the best selling happens naturally. Like mm-hmm. you, they come in, if they sort of are walking past the front desk and you like start a conversation and let mm-hmm. it flow rather than, all right, you're, you're taking your 45 seconds between your set. I'm going to come out, I'm going to pitch you an idea, get your headphones <laughs> in, you're going to kill that, you're going to kill your vibe, you're going to kill your set. And like, that's the, like the worst possible time in my opinion to try yeah. and sell something on something. When they're in the middle of focusing on something, when heart rate's elevated, the last thing they're thinking about is, Probably buying first yeah. that time. Like we're not so, all Wolf of Wall Streets over here. <laughs> it's not. It's not that. the easiest thing. And, and that's that's the sort of problem I, I feel with a lot of the industry in terms of mm-hmm. it's about the money. It's just about the money. Like yeah. your th- their reasoning to push you there is obviously maybe a little small portion of wanting to help the client and yourself, but mm-hmm. they just want the bottom line. Like, yeah. Obviously, at the end of the day, that's what gets everything by, but. 
it's not a good motivation to actually get that client. Oh, like for sure. trying to expand your ability to help people and affect them in a positive way is a much more genuine reason. And like people's bullshit radar, like we'll be able to tell them when you were just trying to sell. Like you can see it coming a mile away. You got like a, a fresh trainer coming up to you, just going like, oh, like, hey, can I get your number? Like, I, I want to study PT. And like, like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> no, I, I, w- I would say no too. Perfectly yeah. honest, right? And that's exactly it. Like, unless you're you're really struggling, and then you see mm-hmm. someone that has no idea what they're doing, they're looking like deer in the headlights. Then maybe approaching them and going, mm-hmm. "Hey, like, I can see you having some difficulty here. Like, can I maybe give you some tips?" That's a much, mm-hmm. so much of an easier way to break the ice there than, "Oh, for sure." Hey, like, are you interested in PT? Just deadpan expression. <laughs> <laughs> Just be a steering contest from there. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So tell me a bit about your background in terms of where you started with coaching, what, what sort of influenced you over your early days of whether you were learning to like train yourself and then blending that into your coaching because obviously you've got, you got a bit of a sporting history as well there. Well, I guess let's start with um, during my teens. Um, my parents put me through a bunch of sports like baseball, soccer for a quick moment there. I think it was like a year. Um, I didn't really enjoy it, but I do like watching it um taekwondo for 11 years uh swimming for five competitive swimming for five and then bat competitive badminton for i think about six years um and then from there everything kind of stopped because i was i i guess i was going through a rebellious phase um and then from there (laughs) um my friend got me into fitness and i think all where we all start is bodybuilding hey we want to look like so and so we want to we want to look like arnold not knowing that he was pumping himself full of pure <laughs> not knowing that was what it all took exactly um, it was just chicken and rice man it was just chicken and rice oh yeah it was just chicken rice and after that i realized i just want to lift heavy shit right and then <clears throat> i forgot i think the friend who brought me into bodybuilding and told me about powerlifting and i'm like okay you know what let's check them out he showed me 3DMJ, Eric Helms, uh, Alberto Nunez, who still to this day is looking phenomenal uh, for his age. Um, And then I started learning from there and then I started branching out in terms of looking for resources on how to lift more, how to be stronger. And I came across Juggernaut, um, super training for a bit, but mostly my influence comes from Juggernaut um, training and from there, I started coaching in terms of online powerlifting coaching, uh, competing, and bringing my uh, powerlifting athletes into competition, and also offering to handle people uh, during the competitions. Right? Because it, it, it's hard when you're focusing on your attempts, and you have to think of, hey, how did that feel? I might have to review my video and write down what my second or third attempt is. Right? It's always nice to have a second pair of hands and eyes to help you load plates as well as uh, like carry out the plan that you had. Definitely. And then from the, I think from one of the powerlifting meets, I met one of my friends and, me- and mentor, uh, Jeffrey Chu from uh, GC Performance Training. And we were training together one day and he was like, hey, let me, let me run you through some plyometric drills. And from there I was like, okay, you know, plyometrics, very cool. I had fun. 
And then I decided to dive deeper into it. Uh, also because I had a client that was playing uh, volleyball at the time. And then <clears throat> I talked to him and said, hey, I'm learning about this and this for strength and conditioning. Would you be interested in helping me learn? And he, like, bless him. Like, he, he was down for it. He wanted to learn more, wanted to help me improve my skills. And then from there, I, in the last two and a half years, maybe three, I think two and a half is where I dive fully into uh, strength and conditioning, got mentorship, um, start. I also read the Cal Deet, so he's a big influence. Um, yeah, triphasic. Um, and then just the people that I talked to that were more into strength conditioning and people that I see on Instagram that I follow on Instagram are all coaches that I do look up to and do learn from. Um, and there's so much to learn in terms of strength and conditioning. It's, it's not any more than just strength. Strength is more of a, I guess, base you build off to uh, further reach the athletic goals and whatnot, right? It underpins a lot um, of other things, but isn't the only factor. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And like, it helps build robustness at the end of the, at the end of the day. And we always think of how oh, how much strength is needed in sports, right? Because every sport's a bit different. Um, for example, maybe you might you probably want to be stronger as a football uh, defensive lineman versus let's say badminton, right? For sure. And yeah, so I guess that's that's where my uh, journey started from there. Um, and I'm loving it because with strength and conditioning, there's so much we can do and it's not just limited to three lifts kind of thing. Exactly. You know what I mean? I think it's a, it's a very natural sort of progression your career's taken there in terms of like the early days starting in <clears> that very like bro phase that <clears> I guarantee almost every lifter goes through <laughs> at some point in their career. Oh, for sure. There. Oh, for sure. And then often that blends into the strength when you're like, okay, like I'm putting on a little bit of sort of mass here, but I want to see how strong I can get. I'm enjoying lifting more. And then you push that. Mm -hmm. And then at some point you snap your shit up and you get injured. Oh yeah. All right. I need to refine how I move. I need to mm -hmm. address my weaknesses and imbalances, imbalances, the ones that need to be addressed, put it that way. Yeah. And yeah. everything there that then flows on to then being smarter and more conscious with your training. And then, if you really enjoy it and obviously you're going down the sort of trainer route, you, you get a friend or a trainee or something that someone that is essentially a guinea pig for your first mm -hmm. little coaching and sort of exploration into the training realm with someone other than yourself. And I think that is a very crucial time in like every coach's development as to how well they can externalize the positions and movements and everything that they're feeling within their body. Like it's all, it's, great to have your own like sort of kinesthetic awareness and be able to dial mm -hmm. these positions but you need to be able to either verbalize it to your client or even better put them in positions where they like are constrained to be in that position mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and it's it's it's, like, it's, also, it's it's also like what you said about verbalization um and teaching the clients because and one thing i learned uh, through coaching was not everyone learns the same way or let's say uh, push the floor away and like uh, like a cue uh, like everyone works with a different cue or like how you explain it to them matters right 100%. and i think i think like communication in at the end of the day in coaching is huge 
that that's why they're there. Like they could get the same programming from someone online that just gives them this printout mm. doc, but it's how the execution and completion matters there with you that changes it all. And it's the sort of thing where working with a client for enough time, you start to understand how they think about them. I feel that you start to think about, mm. that you start to understand how they think about the movement and then refine how you explain things to them. So for mm. one of my clients who may have, who may struggle with like a good sort of hip hinge in terms of not locking yeah. their knee down or something like that. And they, when they want to hinge, they want to hyperextend. I might mm. focus less on that hinge and say, all right, we're going to try and keep your knees over your feet, but put your bum back. Whereas I'm not telling yeah. you to necessarily hinge, but I'm describing in a way that you can mm. understand the position better than me just saying, all right, hinge. To someone else that might yeah. be really fine because they, they get it and they understand what it feels like to hinge. For someone else that with a different verbalization and a different constraint of position works so much better for them. But you can't tell that from day one on the job. Like that's that requires rapport Definitely with the not. client and a bit of time yeah. like working with them to really like understand and nut out there. Mm -hmm. And it's like uh, the number of cues you give them too. Like you got to find one that really, really resonates with them too. And I find when you give them more than two, let's say, is when they get completely mixed up. Like focus on one or two, focus on one if that works and then continue with it. And then once you get proficient at that and that becomes uh, more second nature to the client or to the athlete, um, that's when we start introducing something else. 100%. It's, it's an interesting one. Like I feel that it is a sort of transition that everyone goes to as a trainer. Like you go from a point where you're trying to say, you're trying to say everything at once. You're trying to tell them so much information and you're just yeah. overloading them to show how smart you think you are. And then <laughs> it sort of changes to the point where you're like, all right, like I don't need to demonstrate how smart I, like I feel I am here mm -hmm, or how mm -hmm. much I know. And mm -hmm. it's all right. Like what's the least I can say to get my point across, to get the client to achieve what I want them to achieve here. And that's like a, a big like mental switch that goes off in your mind at some point. And I feel like for me, I think I'm about almost four years into training people now, mm -hmm. three, three, four years, something around that. And yeah. over the past years, when that sort of really gotten off, like I don't need to give you 50 instructions for this drill. It's going to be a detriment. Anything above two yeah. or three is going to be a major detriment. Like, yeah. And especially for things that are very fast in nature. So like if I got you doing say tempo squats with a five second eccentric, you're going to have plenty of time there to think about those three different things. Yeah. If I've got you doing a depth jump and trying to get you as elastic of as possible off the floor, like mm. you've got what 0 0.2, 0 0.3 seconds to think about three different things on landing. Like <laughs> your, your subconscious, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Your subconscious is taking over and controlling the movement, like whether you want it to yeah. or not. And it's, it's that switch of like, I'm planning you up to that spot. And then the reason we're drilling these movements and exercises is so that you don't have to think mm -hmm, you're training mm -hmm. a reflex essentially. Yeah. The better it's, we can your position for that, the better. Yeah. I think when you're in giving, like when you're giving instructions sometimes or a lot of times, less is more. And that also yeah. sometimes goes into how we program volume for athletes. Sometimes less is more because at the end of the day, sports, specific practice rules all you don't want them to be sore before a practice you don't want to run them to the ground you don't want their uh, cns to be fried and at that point we're just finding that threshold off just right 100 percent. 
I, I, I'm always fascinated and I love the debate between like mm. the minimum viable amount mm. and the maximum that they can tolerate. Like which, because obviously there's so many mm. different coaches that are between those two points but with some being very outliers there as to I'm going to make my athlete as tough as possible and able to handle everything that their game could possibly throw at them. Mm. And then on the other end, I want them as fresh as possible. I want them mm. to get the, the stimulus and the sort of the adaptation in from that, but with as little extra, extra padding work as possible. And I, I love that debate between those two points. Cause I don't what? think necessarily one's right or wrong. I think it's very contextually dependent. Like say you get two different athletes, you get myself and LeBron James. Mm -hmm. I don't think my body is going to be handle the same forces, <laughs> load, volume, absolutely anything as someone oh, yeah. who's a genetic freak that has obviously played, I think he's in his 18th season now, of oh. essentially one injured season that he's had significant time off. I couldn't mm -hmm. handle one probably season of any similar volume to something like that just because that's where my body is. Like, yeah. there's no point huffing and puffing about it. it it's the hand I got dealt, it's the hand he got dealt. So mm -hmm. finding my spot on that sort of spectrum there, mm -hmm. I would say is quite important, whether that be through <laughs> me exploring it as my own training or getting a trainer to do that for me mm -hmm. and having them like assess me and work with me over a period of time to see like how well I recover from a high dose session or yeah. how much sort of adaptation I get from a low dose session, mm -hmm. obviously working more than just a session at a time, but you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that having a athlete readiness monitor week to week, day to day, is very important like for example uh for online athletes uh i will have a readiness monitor for them at the top of that week's program and it's wow. and it's basically four or five things that basically are related to stress so how stressful was your job or have you had good rest how sore are you how is your nutrition kind of thing um and also in person clients i ask them before each session give me a rundown of your week how was this day to this day um, was there anything that happened that may cause you stress or uh, may cause interference for your uh, one hour session, for example? And at the, at the same time, like I'm with my clients for an hour, uh, like each day, let's say, and there's only so much I can do within that hour. I just have to, you just have to find that quality or um that exercise that's the best bang for your buck that's going to get you to where you want them or develop the qualities that you want right hence uh, let's exactly. say barbell movements uh compound movements especially are very important and then maybe you can if you have like when you have extra like at the end of the client at, at the end of the session you can put in for example uh accessories that work on weak joints uh, weak muscle groups that the athlete has like individually or like a robustness circuit kind of thing. hundred percent. No, I love that. So tailing back mm -hmm. to the sort of the readiness question there, like mm -hmm. I think something that's just so underrated is just asking your client how they're feeling, like how mm -hmm. your week has been. Give me, and it's sort of, even if I'm not necessarily prompting, like how stressful was it? Like if it was stressful, if from my experience, mm -hmm. they'll tell me, they'll tell mm -hmm. me I've had a few mm -hmm. weeks. I've yeah. been absolutely under the pump at work. I've had extra projects, this and that, mm -hmm. or I, I tweaked my back doing gardening or whatever it may be. Like they'll generally tell you that because they don't mm -hmm. want to blow it up just as much as you don't want them to be blown up. And yeah, you often 
can dig uh, even into like the sort of the mental side of it where obviously yeah physical stress is one side of it but mental stress is harder to quantify especially for some people that mm-hmm. don't want to verbalize that as much if, yeah, if yeah, I'm, yeah if i'm sort of poking and prodding a little like you can often get a lot more out of the client than if i just go all right like bang tell me everything about your week <laughs> yeah is that and obviously it's, it's very again client dependent like you got to know your client mm-hmm. as to what they best respond to there mm-hmm. and that's what i feel it, it, once you can sort of i mean for lack of a better term read them like that mm-hmm. it, it can give you so much more information than just at a face value that someone else might take out of that conversation and i think to be a good trainer you have to understand psychology oh at, for sure at a, at a for sure for sure core level and be able to because you're working with a person as like a living breathing person in the sense of nothing is linear mm-hmm. they might walk out and tear an acl stepping off a step but they've done six months 10 months 12 months of amazing prep before that hitting all these pbs mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just something happens and like yeah how well you can roll with the punches there so is so underrated and oh yeah their ability to just keep going yeah and it's and it's important for like let's say programming as well uh, let's say that was what happened to the athlete let's let's say a small ankle sprain or whatnot or you just need that backup plan in your programming that can still give them that stimulus you wanted for them through the program and also and it's important to know, like to understand how to rehab them as well in a sense rehab like rehab movements are basically strength exercises that are it's all on the same spectrum. oh yeah and rehab you you want to you want them to go past that obviously you want them to rehab get let's say an ankle stronger and then maybe hey let's start doing um squats or calf raises and then slowly pro- like progress them into a higher velocity movement for sure, for sure. It's one of the, the big sort of things that I put into my training. Like I work with a lot of gen pop and some athletes as well. So mm-hmm. I'm sort of split between the two, which I mm-hmm. think I, I personally enjoy as mm-hmm. everyone provides like a different challenge there. So oh, yeah. what I do with a lot of my athletes is the same sort of core work I do with a lot of my gen pop. It's obviously just scaled along that spectrum there as sort of different mm-hmm. points. Mm-hmm. So what my, like I might do some shock drops or like depth, drop jumps sort of with my athletes that I might just do some lighter intensity like box jumps or small depth drops with my gen pop Mm -hmm. but when an injury occurs like it's pretty much the same across the board like you've had some sort of tissue go through a traumatic event and you need to progressively strengthen it and load it up to the point where it's able to handle sort of a super maximal amount of force or speed or whatever it may be to what injured it so I, my personal opinion is try to get that tissue to a better spot than it was when it was injured. And mm-hmm. often a lot of the time when, say, someone goes to the physio and they give them the work to do and the like, and that gets them on that same path, oh, they only do one side. And that's sort of a bit of a gripe I have, like, all right, I've, I've hurt my right calf or something like that. And then, okay, I'm doing all these strength, rehab, work on it, focus on it, and then that gets better than ever. But then mm-hmm. my left has essentially been neglected for however long of a time frame. Yeah. And then, then that goes. And that you see that quite commonly with major, more major things like MCLs, LCLs, ACLs, 
I've seen, I've heard of a lot of anecdotes as well as seen a lot of examples yeah. of someone coming back from one and then doing the other quite shortly after that. Mm -hmm. And it's tough when it's something that traumatic because obviously that takes mm -hmm. so much energy, so much time to get that back to, to capacity that the other side can often detrain quite significantly and atrophy if it's not mm -hmm. given the same attention. And then it becomes that time sort of economic like equation where, all right, I've got an hour with you maybe two or three times a week. Like most of my clients do 45 minute sessions at the moment. So again, it, cutting that down even more where I might have someone twice a week for 45 minutes. I'm like, all right, cool. I've got to try and train everything possible here. Realistically, I'm probably not going to train everything possible. No, Let's definitely not. Prioritize what do you mm. need most right now? What have I not done in the past week to two weeks sort of period? Right, this, 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 and this. All right, we're putting that in today. Okay, what else do we have time for? Like maybe one thing. Okay, what what would benefit you looking at where you are now and what tissues are not happy? What mm. sort of joints aren't moving too well? Like what can we clean up with a little bit of small accessory work there? And that's the thing that you don't really get taught to do coming through sort of university. Like I, I went to Victoria University and did like an mm. exercise science degree. And obviously that's more a lot more of the science side of it understanding mm -hmm. like physiology anatomy biomechanics etc but very little on actually training people so it's okay. kind of when i first started it was a very not necessarily a jump in the deep end but in terms of the the business and the logistics side of training people like time constraints mm -hmm. and the like and mm -hmm. being able to like i think what differentiates a, a more experienced trainer from a less experienced trainer is the ability to pull movements out of a session to still have the same effect in it. Like it's, it's mm. very easy to make an argument for 15 different exercises to be in someone's program as well. Mm. And in a, in a perfect world, the person could handle the volume. They spend five hours training every day, feel great, build up to it. And then perfect. Everyone's happy, mm. but it's not like that in the real world. So being able to pull out a couple exercises and say you do in a 45 minute session, two or three main sort of movements and then one or two accessories like that is what i feel makes a good session both volume wise and time economic sort of factor wise like how, how do you address your sort of time constraints and sessions like that well i think yeah i mean that's something i learned that's something i learned probably two years ago to efficiently do that and that's like you said priority right mm -hmm. at the end of the day uh, sometimes i'll see some trainers probably warm up their clients and then maybe use a massage gun on them and bam there goes 40 minutes of their session what are yes. they paying you for kind of thing right so uh how i sequence my training sessions is their dynamic warm-up takes about mm, 10 minutes 10 12 minutes um we might a lot probably five minutes uh, from, after that for some injuries that they had, right? Mm -hmm. or, or that we're working with. If not, great, okay? Um, then we move on to, let's say, plyometrics, uh, extensive plyometrics, then intensive ballistics. And then we just go down the force velocity curve. And then probably at like 30 minutes, 40 minutes is when we actually start like more of the compound strength movements and then sometimes if if we have time we might just run a quick circuit yeah it's a good way to get that mm -hmm. 
accessory volume in at the end, especially if it's more of just like a a tissue like toughness standpoint where you're just yeah. trying to get a bit of attention, getting a mm. bit of like tensile loading through that tissue mm. to develop that obviously the strength and tear resistance essentially. Circuits are great for that at the end. Like mm. if I'm running a, a superset or like a, a sort of a tricep there, jumping, jumping, jumping between the exercises, it's not so much how much you're lifting. It's more just the fact that that muscle is getting that stimulus and getting yes. that kind of tension that is what you want. So mm -hmm. whether it's a super high weight because you're feeling fresh or the last one you're feeling fatigued and sort of those accessory muscles you've already worked up here are starting to gas out. Like Mm -hmm. It's probably a moot point by that point. Like you, you're not yeah. that inspired. Yeah, like I'm not here. We're not here to run you to the ground, right? At exactly. the end of the day. And like speaking of like rehab too, um, you've been doing a lot of isometrics during mm. your lockdown. Um, and like, have you been doing that with your lacrosse athletes? Because I know you've been training some lacrosse athletes uh, on the field and everything. It's like yeah. good content so out there. Thanks, I appreciate that. So pretty much all of my training from last March has been basically pushed outdoors. So I've done a little now and again in my own gym, like with a couple athletes, but not not a whole lot. So most of it's all outdoors. So I've sort of moved a little away, I'd say, from big, heavy compound sort of movements and the like, mm -hmm. just basically due to access to facilities. So yeah. I've, change that a lot more to sort of like running specificity, improving someone's gait, their stride pattern, their ability to hit acceleration and top speed positions, mm -hmm. as well as sort of everything in between that underpins that, like their ability to improve their ankle stiffness, to be able to project while using their feet and sort of glutes together in that sort of connection there. Being less knee dominant runners, trying to emphasize a little mm -hmm. more like hip dominance there. And then obviously with my lacrosse players as well as a lacrosse player, I do a bit of skill work with them as well. So that's sort of, I would, I would say it's sports specific training more than mm. tra like training uh, sport performance training rather than sport specific yeah. training. If that sort of makes sense. Like it is yeah, yeah. very, very cool lacrosse, like actually working on mechanics and refining positions again, there. the mm. same approach I take to the running of like, improving their stability, improving their ability to execute each position and the sort of attractor states, as Stefan Jones said. Great follow if anyone mm -hmm. is interested yeah, in sports-specific sure. training in that sense. Yep. And that's someone I'd say has influenced a lot of my thoughts in that regard as to how to break down position. So he's obviously very big into cricket, but the, the approach to his training of that sport is quite interesting. And like I feel I've taken a lot from that and implemented and seen good results. So like I've got... Mm -hmm players that were sort of special teams players where like they are not necessarily just goal scorers. They have other roles as well, like a face off yeah. and sort of playing up and down midfield. And they've all started to come quite a far away in the time, in the say the past year where I've been outdoors and working with them, like shooting stroke has been a lot cleaner. Like sprint speeds have come, sprint speeds have come up, times have come down, ability to just, generally move well and efficiently through different sort of positions like if i'm coming up and i'm sort of juking you this way moving that way and then coming back this way the the timing sort of between those and just overall fluidity of movement have all improved and i feel that that is a very sort of subconscious thing where it's not that we're drilling the one movement over and over and over and over and over so that you become yeah. great at running up to a cone and knowing exactly where you need to be this way and then that way and then back mm. it's more so giving you the the foundation
foundations of those positions so that you can react when you need to. So, you know, in a live drill, like it's all great to be able to have this pre-planned route out, but it's not going to be like that. And it kind of, it has a carryover to a very small effect compared to understanding the core positions and being competent in them to then self-organize. Yeah. And that's the sort of the biggest light bulb that's gone off. I would say in my own training over the, uh, my, my coaching over the past mm -hmm. year frame there. And like that definitely helps, especially since you're working with them on the field and in the weight room. Right. And once you find a place like you'll be doing both of those and that helps uh, exactly. bridge the gap and you are in control of everything. But then at the same time being, when do you draw the line from a movement being too specific or too innovative? Cause uh, we've both talked about um, some coaches out there that are too specific in, in that 100%. sense. <laughs> I think, I think there's no one answer. I think it can very much depend based on the context of the situation. Like say mm -hmm. I get a, a young 12 year old athlete that's just started or a couple years into their sport, but a very like casual sort of approach to it, like playing for fun as you should be at that mm -hmm. age, mm -hmm. that sort of, 12 14 is where it starts to become more serious and training gets a bit more emphasized outside of just all right guys we're, we're rolling up let's have a kick of a ball around sort of thing and someone like that they're not going to need specifics like it's going to be generally probably quite far over their head to have the nuance of movement to get the most they can out of that so i would go right back to the basics with someone like that like how well can they move just how well do they control their body and then like it's the sort of thing where they're still going through puberty or they're just starting through puberty and their body's going through all these crazy changes and that they have to essentially relearn how to move. Like I, for, for example, anecdotally myself, I was about, I think maybe five, seven when I was about 11 and then through mm. to the age of like 13, 14, I got to six, six. So during that time Lucky period, guy. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the growing was a bit painful, but it is, what it is. And going through that period, though, like I essentially had to relearn how to move. Like you put on like a foot and a bit of height. Yeah, and the whole body's changed so much, and I my coordination through that period I felt took a, a turn for the worse. Like I was more coordinated before, and then after when I learned. But during that time, like. I, if I was doing the specific sort of lacrosse things I'm doing now, like mm -hmm. I wouldn't have got much out. I might've got a little out of them, but yeah. I may as well have done the basics and saved the advanced stuff for later. When you have that nuance of movement, you have that training history and experience and the ability to get the most out of it. Like back then, if I was trying to train myself in hindsight, like I wouldn't have myself doing like basic squat, basic hinging and just teaching myself to move with control, with purpose and then starting to overload those a little through like sensible means. Like I'm not going to get a, a 12 year old to jump under a one RM like day one on top. <laughs> but through a logical progression there, that's going to make a lot more sense. And then when you get to that stage of your career where you're going to start benefiting from those sort of advanced specifics, like sports specific drills, like that's when I start to bring them in. So a lot of the athletes I'm working with now uh, for lacrosse specifically are Australia level, essentially, like playing in national teams, playing in international Jeez. teams. So that they're the sort of ones where I'm practicing and refining those specific drills because that's the, the training age they're at. Like most of them have been in a weight room for five to 10 years. Mm -hmm. And they've, they've generally maxed out or are close to maxing out the benefit they're going to get from that. Like most, like I've got some of them that are doing like 260 kilo trap bars, like pretty casually. Jeez. And at that point, like how much more strength is going to benefit 
you on fear. Yeah. Maybe, like arguing it maybe a little, mm-hmm. but it's going to be less than using that strength in a more specific pattern and getting the most out of what you already have there. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that sort of that continuum you're trying to find the line between that and it differs for every athlete like you get someone that's very contact heavy takes a beating maybe overall strength might not be that much more important or need to be emphasized more than just tissue toughness and robustness there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like because at the end of the day the best ability is availability like yeah. it's great to be to run a nine five hundred meters but if you're always injured and you never actually get on the field or the pitch like, what's it matter? Like, it's cool yeah. to flex, but what's it really matter? It kind of reminds me of OBJ. Exactly. He always gets injured. and 100%. But he's great. He's a great athlete, but he's just out most of the time. Exactly. Like, but then what for are your... Sorry? What are your thoughts on sort of that sport-specific continuum versus where you draw the line as to choose <laughs> too specific or too general? Well, I mean... They all have their place at the end of the day in the program, right? Um, and especially that was actually the question I was going to, one of the questions I was uh, going to ask you is basically how would you go about, what's your thought process of when you program strength and conditioning for a lacrosse athlete, let's say, or just in general, right? And I think it's important to have both a bottoms-up approach and top-down approach. Top-down as in... Uh, let's say we analyze the sports, like what velocity is shown, what uh, movement patterns is shown, uh, energy systems used, et cetera, et cetera. And then find out what exercise actually helps stimulate that growth. And from there, we will regress the exercise back. Let's say you have your core four, and then you start regressing them back down into GPP, SDE, that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you should also look at, like, using a bottoms-up approach, like, look at what, like, are the work durations? What is, like, how to improve these uh, components, um, uh, the intensity or intent needed, and rest intervals, reps, that sort of stuff, as, as well as your environmental constraints, right? Not all, we, I'm definitely not training at a facility that has top-tier university, national-level yeah. equipment, right? Um definitely have to look at what equipment's in use or what will we have available as well as their schedule, like the athlete's schedule and what kind of time they have to dictate towards them. Right. Um, definitely before, I guess, like before starting with the athlete, we have to assess, like I said, the current constraints such as uh, in like training age, like you said before, training age and lifting experience. Right. Um, do we focus on the, the prime movements, uh, hinge, squat, push, press, uh, throw, jump. And then we look at their past injuries and their current injuries. Do they have any? Because no one's perfect. They're obviously going to have some sort of injury. Um, what do they need right now and what their baseline fitness levels are? Um, and then just school and work stress. Not every one of us are fortunate enough to be full-time athletes. Frankly, there's no money in that uh, on, on the come up, right? Um, and we, we have work to support coaching, basically, or, or the, their programs or their coaching fees, et cetera. And that, that plays into the part of the athlete readiness monitor and just mitigating fatigue, or I wouldn't say mitigating fatigue, or like fatigue management is more like... Just addressing it, right? yeah. Yeah. And then every 
everyone who does sports specific uh, coaching or uh, strength and conditioning should always dissect the sport. Like, like we said before, what skills are performed by the athlete, throw, run, jump, etc. What um, the work to rest ratios or duration of play is for, for the sport, right? Always do your research, right? Um, is it a mixed sport uh, depending on energy systems used? And what, what kind of injuries are commonly seen or like, are they, are they very prone to chronic fatigue? For example, like when I was working with um, hockey, these hockey players, this hockey, the Delta Ice Hawks, they uh-huh. came in every session, just run down, like from practice, from, I, I don't really understand why their coach was getting them to hike, but um, like he, he would get them to hike, let's say, I think this hike with grouse grind. So that, that takes about four, about an hour, I guess, maybe more. Yeah. And they come into the gym. And I'm just like, you guys are done. <laughs> You're beat. Like, we're basically going to do mobility at this point. There's not much yeah. I can do, right? Um, I'll put and then, further into that grave if I try and actually get the session we planned in. Yeah, and, like, a lot of, like, a lot of these people, you have to look at, like I said before, the special considerations of sport. Hey, is the injury of a, a shoulder injury very common? Is, yeah. is concussions a co- uh, very common, right? Then. You, you look might at basketball, have to work in one in yeah. two have patellar tendinopathies. Yeah, for sure, right? And then so we have to program around these and also build up their tolerance in that area and like strength, robustness, that sort of stuff. Um, and also after that, we will look at improving components commonly seen in the sport, right? We can use a classification system to identify what components need, a top down approach, like I said. Uh, to for the training stimulus, right? Um, just to help with the learning curve as well. So, like, I wouldn't get you to do, let's say, a sumo deadlift and then somehow transition you to a power queen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we want, we want to, to make logical progression sense. Yeah, for sure. And you can't just throw them say, like, "Hey, just do a power queen." And we also got to look at the movements um, or the exercises. Uh, technical aspect so how hard is it to teach it do you have the time to teach it before their season starts or can you that's, use that time that's a big, you've been... big lifts as well oh yeah oh yeah and it, teaching big lifts is hard but it's beneficial if you have the time right? exactly it's all the time and economic then, sort of perspective there for sure time management is key and you, you and I have talked about variations, right? At the end of the day, in strength conditioning, biggest lesson, one of the biggest lessons I've learned was you don't have to squat. You don't have right? to do anything. It, you, you don't have to do anything. It's liberating. <laughs> exactly, right? It, it, it's mind-blowing. And the I thing is, that. we just look at why or what, what stimulus do we want or uh, why are we doing this? Let's say the back squat, for example. We want lower body strength and then power, right? You can get that through split squats. You don't necessarily have to do a back squat. It's good. It's a good thing to learn. Exactly. And it's a great compound. It's a tool but in the toolbox. Exactly. At the end of the day, we can do, there's so many roads to Rome. 100%. 100%. I agree entirely. Even mm-hmm. going back to your sort of perspective of like distilling <clears throat> top down and sort of bottom up. 
Mm -hmm. like, pretty much exactly the same sort of way I approach it. Like, what does the sport require from the athlete? Mm -hmm. How well does the athlete currently match up to the sport? And then sort of everything in between there. Like, you, and a, like factoring in sort of the desired adaptation where no, no movement has to be done. Like, you can make an argument for almost anything to some degree some a lot more viable than others like mm -hmm. if i want you to become stronger through a squatting pattern okay maybe something like a back squat a front squat a split squat is going to be better yeah. than you doing single leg isometric leg extensions like yes it's training your quad it's probably not going to have you gaining like progressive strength as much mm -hmm. but it's, it'll do it either way though so it's the sort of thing where like in a specific context where maybe someone injured their other leg and this leg's quite pissed off. Like that might be the best option for that day, week, whatever sort of time period it may be. So I try to never rule any exercises out there as like bad or never to be yeah. like very early in my like coaching days, you hear all these stigmatizations of like, oh, leg extensions are bad. They give you a mm. knee shear force and they don't like shear force. And it's like, mm. okay, maybe why do they not like shear force? Because they can't tolerate it. Okay, yeah. So we were better at getting it to tolerate it. And then we use that exercise that was too much for you at the time to then progress it. And it's, mm -hmm. it just cycles. And then that goes back to like the robustness thing there of, all right. So for a movement, instead of strength, we might be looking for time under tension, like tensile loading, yeah. specific mm -hmm. position demands, like the ability to mm -hmm. perform a good poke contraction. And all of mm -hmm. those are different sort of context pieces to base what you're choosing the exercises for that person around there. And then sort of zooming out from that perspective, I'm I'm quite big on variability in the sense of yeah. auto-regulation. So rather mm. than giving a set block of work to most of my athletes, like I'd rather give them a raw blueprint to operate within. So like constraints of I want you to do one of these two to three movements for roughly this amount of reps and sets. Like within the fact that if you're fit, if you roll into the gym and you've had a massive training the night before. Mm. You mm -hmm. are beat. You don't want to be there. Do you think you're going to go hard if I give you a five by five or something like that? Like you'll get yeah. through it more so than really do it at the best of your ability mm -hmm. because you're feeling trash. Yeah. So say if I gave you up to a top set of five where, all right, if you were feeling great on the day, you mm -hmm. might add an extra one or two in there to get to that top. Or you might do another one at the top there if it's an option. Mm -hmm. But if you're not feeling good, you work up to what <laughs> you feel was the perceived exertion level or the rep count amount or rep in reserve, depending on what I'm using there. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. As the metric for the top set there. So it's very, it's regulatable in terms of how you feel. And that's the sort of thing, like, especially through the season to balance how much maintenance we can perform versus how well they're sort of performing on field and the, the state of their body mm. throughout a long season. Like most sort of sports seasons here are something between 18 and 22 games most, yeah. most of the time around that. Then you add in an extra two to three months of preseason. And that's a, that's a long period of time that you need to be performing for week in, week out. And like mm. no one plays a hundred percent healthy. That's the thing. So everyone is generally always nursing some sort of injury, whether they're 98% or they're 85%. It's good to be cognizant of what they're yeah. nursing there and have the ability for them to load and unload as they need. And it all comes back to education there. Like I, the, the, the day one of working with someone, I'm not going to go, all right, like here's your rough program. Just like go in and sort of do what you feel best. <laughs> like up to that point where I'm a little more, a little more to go off 
And then as they're sort of getting more familiar with it, they start to understand what we're trying to achieve and how we're trying to achieve it. You give them a little bit more leash, a little bit more leash. And then all of a sudden, they're not, they're not programming themselves, but they have enough awareness and context to be able to make an educated decision there. And obviously that takes time to get to, but that's the sort of spot where I feel like I'm trying to essentially empower the client, empower the athlete to be able to yeah. take their training and their ability to push themselves to the point where it needs to be. So again, going back to knowing the client and understanding what motivates them and what sort of cueing and stuff works well with them is very similar to how they motivate themselves. Mm-hmm. Like if I know that the, the thought of going back on field is what motivates you, I might try and poke and prod at that and go, yeah. right, like this is something excellent to do at home as a movement, rehab, mobility, sort of just general antitoxin work for the body. Mm. This is why you should do that and phrase it one mm. way. Or for someone else, it might be, all right, like think about this injury you had previously and the niggles are starting to come back for that same issue. Yeah. You should address that before it gets bad. Like think about how bad it was when you're injured. And obviously that's not putting it in a good light, but if that's what motivates them to sort of give them a kick in the ass Mm. essentially and get moving, I say it's a net win. Yeah. And and I think like, like we said before, coaching is all about communication and it's important for the athlete or client to see why they're doing this. Right. And obviously at the end of the day if they don't like this movement i i also tell them this like look if you really hate this exercise let me know if you really hate doing this let me know there are other ways we can do to achieve it 100%. right if as but long then as it's not just because it's hard no yeah exactly right like i told them training isn't going to be easy but i'm also not going to run yeah. you into the ground right like my goal here is to for you to improve you and yeah make you yeah. better and not have you crawl your ass out the door and then can't drive home yeah. kind of thing, right? Um, but it, and that's where ind- individualism comes in for programming. And I think that's just so important. And if you want the most out of strength and conditioning, or like, for, like if you want the most out of an athlete, right? Is that communication too of the RPE, uh, the, the readiness, the, the if you like this. It, like, I don't want you coming into the session hating it, right? Because yeah. at the same time, that's also uh, client retention too, right? Like, I don't want you to come in with no You're going to make a fun experience. Exactly, right? And then, thankfully, like, there's some athletes I work with that are very, very self-motivated. And they like what they do, right? Um, they seem, and for a lot of people, is seeing improvement, seeing they're able to do this, it is that push. And we don't need to do anything like that. But it's like you said, it's about the client psychology too, right? Like, knowing what makes them tick kind of thing makes what makes them push a bit more right and and i think it's great to have that kind of homework you give them like oh hey maybe do some isos at work do some bodybuilding at at home kind of thing and this is why you're doing this is what it's going to lead to and this is the benefits you're going to get do you want to get stronger do you want to hit harder do you want to throw faster do you want to jump higher do this. Do you want to stay healthy so we can jump higher? Hey, you know, maybe extreme isos might be for you, right? Exactly. And like, and then, sorry, that, go that, ahead. That, that ties perfectly into that, mm. getting them to be more efficient with their time in <laughs> session because we don't have to perform those same things. And it doesn't 
like something like Extreme Isis, for example. Like I have a client mm. that hit like a 10 minute, 15 Jesus. second Yeah, like <laughs> insanity. But when you think about it, that's like, a, that's a quarter of our session to do mm. one sided of a lunge. And it's like, all right, okay, that's great and all. But if we're spending 25% of our time together with you sitting in a lunch, <laughs> and I'm just standing there, like, all right, just checking my stopwatch, it's kind of, it's not very efficient time-wise, both. For yeah, 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 yeah. So then that's the sort of thing where it's like, all right, maybe try this, this, and this at home, and we're going to take that out of our sessions because mm, mm. it's just not efficient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's something that does occur time to time. Like, obviously, that's an extreme outlying example, but mm. the, the core concept stands nonetheless. Yeah, like, just having... Like like we said before, time management is key at the end of the day. 45 minutes, 60 minutes, whatever it is, whatever time you have with the athlete, that's key. And also, uh, I was going to say something about um, the sports-specific practice. And it's very important for strength and conditioning coaches to get their schedule, right? It's important to look at the athlete's training schedule, their work schedule, whatever. Like, get 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 their week planned out. Right. And then that's where we can plan their high stress or low stress days. Right. If let's say the day before or that day off, they're not really doing anything. They come into the gym. Why not push a little bit more if they don't have sport practice the day after? Right. If let's say if let's say they come in after like a long ass practice sport practice session, they're not going to be squatting 90 percent. I mean, they can, but like. Is it doesn't it make best? Sense. Yeah, right. Like, so maybe it might be an accessory day. It might be an upper body back or like taking care of the little, little nagging injuries or, uh, or like making small improvements here and there kind of thing. Just having that light day or and maybe even get them to do some sort of um, recovery cardio kind of thing. Maybe yeah. go zone two, get the blood flowing, help with recovery, and then take the day off, right? And that's the sort of thing, like, people would view that as, I would say, more of a, a slack day, or mm. a day off. Mm. But active recovery is a real deal there. Like, yeah. getting up and moving around, you're going to help facilitate getting everything feeling better mm. and loosening mm. up. Like, you can have the worst upper body doms in the world. Going for a walk will help so much more than mm. just sitting there. Like, it's the sort of thing that... It, it comes in cycles. Like you'll go, oh yeah, like I'm really big on active recovery at the moment and like I'm doing a lot for it. And then it will sort of like taper off and you'll fall off and then you'll start to feel stiff like quite mm. quickly and then you build back into it and then you're like, oh, why did I ever stop this? Yeah. And that's, that's the nature I feel of so much of training and like recovery modalities like that where it just, it'll cycle up and down. Like you'll have a phase of doing something mm. and it will drop off and then something else will come up in that phase and then you'll drop off for that and then that will come back. And it's just, trying to know your body the best like what i need to recover the day after say a lacrosse training session might be completely different to what you need after like a heavy strength session or something like Mm -hmm. that but it's knowing like what do i need all right i have like a lot of like rotational force and stuff so decompressing my lower back and making sure my whole spine thoracic and everything is all moving and rotating well is quite important for like my own health and ability to continue moving well and not develop such bad like one-sided asymmetries yeah and asymmetries obviously to the point of like injury not just a slight difference inside because anyone playing like a one-sided sport in any capacity even even like normal field sports 
you're going to have differences side to side. Like if you look at the best in any sport, specifically say something like baseball, pitching and batting, any throwing events in the Olympics, like cricket, anything that involves throwing, batting, hitting, they're going to be like hockey, completely asymmetrical. Mm-hmm. Is that to the point of being a detriment to where they may get injured from it? Or is that the adaptation from them doing enough of it where their their body is balanced out muscularly, musculaturally because of the same demands? They're hitting one side. They're rotating one way a lot more than they are the other way. So their body's basically just adapted to handle it. And yeah. that's why it's, it's not going to be symmetrical across the board. And it's like, Early in my training, very, very early in my training career, I'm kind of like, oh, shit, like asymmetry, we've got to fix that. We've got to be completely symmetrical on both sides. <laughs> and it's not realistic. At that point, it's probably not even beneficial. Like, provided I'm not having a lot of issues and injuries by being that level of asymmetrical, like, what what's the bad side to that? Like, that probably facilitates performance more than it does hamper it. Yeah, and like, I think... How do you feel that would relate to something like badminton? Like, did, when you were playing badminton quite intensely, did you feel that you had any major one-sidedness? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'd say forearm and sh- right shoulder. But it, it it was less of a one-sidedness thing, and it was more of a, um overuse. <laughs> so shoulder... And then, like, I started developing some sort of, like, liquid, like accumulation in one of my tendons in my wrist so that was affecting me when i was smashing right um and it was just a lot of overuse in shoulder too uh from also because at the same time i was playing baseball uh and they it got (laughs) (laughs) it was it was ridiculous and it got to the point where that little lump of liquid started affecting a lot of my daily life i couldn't really move my wrist and that was when i kind of took a time off and um, when I saw a doctor, he was like, yeah, the, it'll either go away eventually or we can shove a needle in there and it'll come back after. All right, and so then, every doctor consultation ever. Yeah, so it, it was like, it, it's either this or that or that. And then before I left, he kind of gave me a, like a side note. It's like, hey, you know, there are cases where people accidentally hit, hit it on a hard sur- surface yeah. and it goes away. And yeah. being the child I am at the time, I decided i found a marble surface and i just like came down on it several times don't recommend it to anyone but it got got rid of it, it like it was, it was it was an anecdotal fix it, i mean i mean my wrist was bruised but yeah. i could play badminton at least right and i'm sure at the time that's what mattered more than a bruised wrist oh 100 there's no doubt about it um yeah, it was just ridiculous. And honestly, if I got that kind of like that injury or whatever you like to call it come up, now I'd be smarter with it, right? Like, of course. Uh, I think through coaching, it really taught me to critically think about things. Because even as a coach, like we're always looking at something. We're always the the main thing is reviewing a program, right? You probably look back week to week or after the program's done and seeing, hey, what worked, what didn't work. And that's the thing, sure. like, what can we do better? And I think that's the, one of the main things of coaching on how to be better is always be a student of the game. Right? I agree entirely. Like, mm-hmm. never, 
there's always so much more to learn. Like, <laughs> sort of thing. Have you heard of the Dunning Kruger effect? I've heard of it. I don't remember the specifics. So essentially, it's the sort of very early days. You think you know so much, and you think you're up oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. start to realize how little you know whilst you actually know so much more, and then obviously, yeah. If you stay long enough, it starts to peak up the other side, but you go through that yeah. sort of valley of like, I know nothing, it's so much to know. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to quantify something like that with a field that's so diverse and it's mm-hmm. so opinionated that mm-hmm. there is no one way to do anything. It's not like something like maths where obviously the answer is the answer. Yeah, it's yeah, for sure. Wide. Yeah, it's so opinionated and you can go through different stages where something you believe is so right at this time just changes to be the worst thing in the world. It's such a <laughs> poor use of time. Yeah. And it's, it's the sort of thing where anything can be, have a case made for it, I feel, within reason. But mm-hmm. there's no, like, the more you know, the better you're able to apply your overall context to the context of that athlete, to that situation. So, like, essentially, as you're saying, be a student of the game, continue learning, try to always expand that skill set to be able to cover more things. So, like, you see, like, as we were sort of speaking about earlier, like, a lot of physios coming from a trainer or a sort of almost an S&C background so that they have that complete understanding of this realm over here when they move yeah. over here and they have that nice Venn diagram, like, crossover effect of, all right, you're an athlete trying to bring back here rather than going, all right, you're a professional level participant i'm going to give you three by ten like glute clamshells and it's kind of like is that probably enough to to give them anything out of the movement even injured like is that going to give them anything oh they're an elite level athlete probably not like Mm -hmm, what's mm -hmm. a better way to do that and having that experience of having been a trainer obviously the right situations need to occur to be knowledgeable in those Mm -hmm. fields but you're probably going to have a better perspective on what's appropriately loaded for those rather than just all right 25 year old pro athlete 80-year-old granny, we're getting you doing the same clamshells here with the same resistance band. Like, it, it doesn't mm. make sense. And then being able to have that skill set outside your own realm is so beneficial. Yeah. And I think also, like, for athletes that are injured that do find physios, um, it's important, or I recommend all my guys to find someone who, a physio that has a sporting background or understands that, um, like, understands the nuances of uh, strength exactly. and conditioning or the sport or has that background where they play sports. Um, yeah. Because I'm like one of my first clients actually came to me after seeing a physio and she had her ACL torn in badminton when she just, she's an older, she's a master's athlete. Uh-huh. So she took a step back and it just popped. Right. Mm-hmm. And the, I, like after surgery, after rehab, the physio was like, Hey, you can't play sports anymore right you can't like you just can't just stay home and i was like oh well let me we'll take it easy and then so i i trained her for about three years now and she's already back in badminton she sometimes plays um like local competitions but like nothing higher than that currently and also because everything shut down um but i mean she's happy with where she is she that's exactly like, it. She's happy she's able to play because that's her pastime at the end of the day, yeah. right? And we, we, we talk about all these methods and like, oh, hey, you know, here's a sheet, do this. But what's the difference between methods and principles, right? It's in like, and I think there's so much to learn in strength and conditioning that sometimes I feel like there's 
a flood of information and now I'm just super confused. And a tip a friend gave to me was, hey, don't focus on the methods, focus on the principles because principles reign true all the time. So basically principles are general theory that has numerous application across a wide field, whereas a method is just a form or a, uh, or a procedure doing of doing yeah. something, right? And I think when I first started, I was like, okay, five by five program, uh, five, three, one program, you know, like it's just going to get me strong. And then it, it gets to a point where you plateau and you can't understand why, right? But understanding the, the principles behind linear. it. Huh? Sorry? <laughs> Gains aren't perfectly linear along that one axis. Well, I, I hoped it was, but <laughs> obviously it wasn't, right? Yeah. And like to understand like the principles, you can select and apply your own methods, right? Um, or even looking at, let's say, triphasic, why does triphasic work? Or why does five by five work? It all comes down to principles, right? Um, like overload, progression, that sort of stuff. Exactly, exactly. I, I agree completely. And even going back to the sort of the physio <clears throat> point there of telling your client that she'd, she'd never do this or never do that. Mm -hmm. I feel that thrown around so often rather than a perspective of, all right, like, Let's do the best we can today and over mm. time we'll see where we can get you rather mm. than just basically cutting them at the knees there and going, all right, like no pun intended. Yeah. Cutting them at the knees. <laughs> and then going, all right, you're never doing this. You're never doing that. You're never doing this. And that yeah. might be their sole reason for wanting to push that rehab to a point, especially with something like an ACL that's so intensive. That's their reason to try and get back from that. And you're trying to, you're essentially just cutting them before they even started there. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I get that you don't want to give them false hope, but it's a great yeah. I have with a lot of allied health like that, that they don't give them a sense of take your take the control of your own destiny there. Like, obviously, your body's limited to what it can do. Like, everyone accepts that. It kind of bothered that point in someone's life, especially if she's a master. Athlete, I'm sure she'd understand that. Yeah. And just do the best you can. And then day mm -hmm. by day, the results come. Like, it's going back to sort of what we were speaking about the other day in terms of I, on my Instagram, I asked like, what would be some advice that people that wish would have given yeah. them to themselves five years ago. And a few of them were essentially that same sort of point of just because you aren't good enough at something now, whether it be a skill, whether it be rehab movement wise, whether it be profession wise, just keep working, do what you can that day to get closer to your goal. Mm -hmm. And it's goes like you have the goal, but, you don't get there in one day. You take no, definitely not. And over time, those small, small steps, like climbing a staircase. Mm -hmm. If I try and jump 15 stairs at once, it's probably not going to go well. And I'll probably bust my face up on the stairs. <laughs> yeah. But if I take one at a time, like I'll get there, albeit slower. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah. It's weighing up there, like how realistic is it to get there in this time frame? Mm -hmm. And that's if why we plan out our programs in like cycles, right? Micro, mesos, right? Macro cycles. Because you're not going to be jumping straight-legged box jump 40 inches in one yeah. day, right? You're going you to maybe. work towards it, right? Like, you, 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 you trip and smash your face 100%, yeah. right? Exactly. But at the same time, like, you talked about the advice that, you know, you wish that you were given mm. five years ago. What were some of the – do you mind sharing what some yeah, people sure. have said? Yeah, so the, 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 the best sort of four that I've distilled, like I've distilled them down a little because there are a few essentially saying the same thing, but that yeah. was sort of number one there, just because you're not good enough today, like keep working, mm -hmm. don't get discouraged, take daily action. Number two was 
around the main theme of just mastering your craft like dive deep into it don't don't sort of settle for second best like don't feel mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're content like obviously yeah not as easy as said as done but the same principle there of continue working continue learning like keep trying to improve yourself that's number two number three would be to do what you really want to do like there's only so long in your life that you have to mm -hmm. do the things you want to do so why would you not do them when you can and go after your quote-unquote dreams and the like and mm -hmm. you can always take that boring job or study again or whatever it may be later in life like it's never mm -hmm. too late in that regard to redefine your profession your hobbies whatever it may be whether, whether they blend together as a hobby yeah and, yeah and then number four is so those are also three blocks on three bits of opinion on life mm. and the like yeah the fourth one here is more training related essentially it's just recover as hard as you're going to train oh like focus. super overrated recovery i mean sorry underrated my bad <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think people look at recovery as you know, just like, oh, okay, just a side thing, right? No, like, nutrition, sleep, mobility stuff. It's just, it helps you recover. And it's not just, okay, this hour I'm going to put it into the gym. I need to be doing my homework kind of thing, in, in a sense. So that I'm able to come back into the gym and give 100% and be better that day than I was yesterday. Exactly, exactly. And then that, like that sort of a 1A, 1B where it's recover as hard as you're going to train and focus less purely on the amount you're lifting, but how well you're moving while you're lifting as well. So yes. that could expand from just a, a singular lift to the, a whole philosophy as at mm -hmm. the gym, on the weight, in yeah. the weight room, on the field. Just how well you're moving matters as much, not, if not more, than just what you're lifting. And those sort of, they, they go hand in hand there of a lot of people, like I, I can understand the perspective of say someone going David Goggins-esque where it's like, I'm going to beat myself to an absolute pulp to see how much I have, to see what I'm made of, like to essentially know myself better. And I feel that that can be very beneficial in the right circumstances. And that's a very big in the right circumstances. Like I'm not going to mm. have you, all right, we're going to go, how many squats can you do body weight in 24 hours? Like, yeah, I, I get the idea. I get the mental test of it. That doesn't, okay, obviously it's a physical test, but that's a mental yeah. test. Like you're not really going to get much out of that physically. That's going to benefit you over the long term. It's going to be a test of your mind. So it's quite interesting. I saw that, again, David Goggins did yeah. uh, something he called a four by four by 48, which is essentially four miles every mm -hmm. four hours for 48 hours. And then I saw a bunch of people essentially putting up their times. How do you sleep? Exactly, but that's the point. Like, it's oh, a mental okay. test that you sleep in between those bits with a small nap now and again. Wow. Yeah, that's... so it's quite <laughs> you're not getting a, You're not getting much out of that physically. You're going to beat yourself through that time. Your recovery drops off a cliff, <clears throat> but it's that mental test to see what you're made of, like to yeah. know yourself. If you know yourself, you know your enemy. Like, mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. Lao or something like that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, being able to, like, Again, know what you're made of. Know where your breaking point is. Like, that's so underrated as a thing. But it, if you're aiming to get your athlete, like, cognizant of that, you have to do it the right way. So something like that, if I get a field sport athlete coming, I'm probably not going to spend. I'm not going to harp on them to go, all right, yeah, you're gonna just run four miles every four hours for 48 hours and I'll see you next session sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not feasible. 
Yeah. But you can implore the same ideology there of, all right, you've got five minutes here. I want as many ball balls as you can. Or yeah. run back and forth here, do this in between sort of thing where you're pushing them to a very uncomfortable situation, like mm. to the point where they want nothing more than to quit there. And you want to see how long they can get through that or how how well they can perform, whether they can beat their own score in the task and use it as like a, almost a mental marker for how much their mind can push their body rather than looking at it as to, all right, what can your body achieve here? Yeah. And that's the sort of thing where going back to those isometrics, those long duration <laughs> isometrics are awesome for that, especially when you get to that above five minute range where you're there for enough time, that you, you settle into the position and it becomes a mental game. Like, the difference of a six-minute lunge versus a 10-minute lunge is a lot less than something like, I would say, a two to a three. A two to a three is a bigger difference than something like a six to a 10. Yeah. It may not sound it number-wise, but once you're there, it's you just becoming comfortable with the position with your mind and being able to push to get the most out of your body. So I would use something like that as more of a mental test than a four by four by 48, for example. I think that's a great idea. Actually, yeah, that's actually a great idea for a men- like more of a mental kind of thing too. And you're still getting benefits from because the intensity isn't too, too high exactly. as, as opposed to, hey, run four miles every four hours, right? I can justify the isometric there <clears throat> versus I probably can't justify the run. I think that's also what like strength and conditioning is. You have to justify it, right? You have to hit certain um, justifiable points, right? And 100%. I think with like Instagram information and algorithm, people see a lot of stuff that- um, Absolutely overloaded. Overloaded, right? I mean, I like some one post might say, hey, stick to the basics, uh, like, and then move up when you feel you're proficient in it. And another post might be, hey, do this plyometric sequence with four bands wrapped around your knee and <laughs> you know your head kind of thing, right? Like. You and I both know which one you would take, but <laughs> but that's just my gripe with like with like the availability of information out there right now too, right? Sure. And I think you said you said the best context is key. Yeah, no, continue, continue. Oh no, that, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting in that sort of sense of like as early days in training, like you're you're trying to find your voice in terms mm-hmm. of you really believe in principle-driven sort of coaching and the like, and working that out in a sea of information where you're essentially a dog chasing its tail, going around seeing 15 different things. It's quite interesting to see the progression, whether it be in yourself or in others, in that same sort of vein. Like, I early days in my sort of PTing, before I really got into athletic development, I went through sort of a stage of like, obviously, PTing is just a general training at the start. And then yeah. I moved a lot into sort of mobility and movement like rehab sort of work and that's what i did too that was my niche before i moved into athletic development so Mm -hmm. i've taken a lot of those sort of foundational learnings across but even looking at my sort of my own content that i've been uploading for the past two and a half years or or so you can see that change as to like what i'm sort of initially uploading might be up here and it sort of changes to something else in this stage and then i go to this stage and then you start to distill down what you're really trying to say there and what you're trying to get yeah. across rather than going like zigzagging all over the place and trying mm-hmm. to address 50 things. And like, you're not going to get a very efficient outcome there versus knowing your core message, understanding what I'm trying to say as a general principle mm-hmm. 
addressing it with different sort of little little pieces here and there. Yeah. Would you feel that you've sort of gone through the same transition there? I, I actually went through the exact same transition. Um, so <clears throat> I think, like, I, I started just lifting and then uh, PT. And when I started PT, it was more catered to rehab. Because a lot of people would, would come up to me and ask, hey, this hurts. What do I do? Right? Exact you might same give thing. <laughs> exact same thing. And then at the same time, I was doing powerlifting. And I was like, honestly, I, I wouldn't say I was getting bored, but rehab. You wanted a you wanted a I wanted challenge. a challenge, right? And yep. it became powerlifting. And then from there, I, was, I realized, hey, strength is a base. Um, what's next? Right? And my, my option was Olympic weightlifting and, uh, or strength and conditioning. And I picked strength and conditioning uh, just because of, honestly, the plyometrics. <laughs> that is how my friend put me through right and it yeah. just piqued my interest um maybe someday down the line i'll do olympic lifts but in strength conditioning we can get the stimulus from uh a different lift that min like mimics olympic lifts for yeah, example for sure. right like a trap bar jump versus a clean kind of thing exactly 100% 100% all right i think that pretty much wraps up all the questions yeah I want you to give one, what's the biggest thing you've learned over the past year through this sort of COVID murkiness, one key lesson you've taken from that period to give to the people that are watching at the moment? No pressure. Ooh, ooh, that, ooh. Um, I think it, this isn't really related to, I guess, COVID, but more of uh, my journey as a coach is... Uh, Always, like I said before, always be a student of the game. Um, never speak in absolutes uh, because that can be detrimental to growth. Always question, always look at your values and question them, see if they're right. And obviously master the principles and not methods. Um, by mastering the principles, we're able to understand how the methods are made. Um, dissecting those methods and apply it to our own. I love that. That's awesome. I'll weigh in on mine there. I, okay. Something I've seen <laughs> over the past 12 months has been quite different to the previous couple mm. of years I've been training before is not underestimating the benefit of general day-to-day -day movement. Like obviously being through multiple lockdowns, having people work from home a lot more when they normally maybe commute or go to work and be at work people are more sedentary than ever, I feel, with a lot of sort of my mm. clients as well. And that's really shown over the past 12 months in the in neck issues, back issues, hip issues, tendinopathies, just general stiffness, inability of tissues to handle load that were great before. And a lot of that, the only real variable is just a lot more sedentary, a lot less walking and a lot more sort of sitting. And yeah. they play like a vicious combo. This is obviously attesting a to both my gen pop and my athlete clients there. So yeah. it's a bit of an intersection because everyone's in the same boat. Like in a lockdown when mm. you're not allowed to leave the house more than an hour, like you're going to be sitting a lot more. Like you're not standing yeah. around walking around your living room for three hours. Like mm -hmm. maybe some people, but most people aren't. Mm -hmm. And it's the sort of thing where like that general movement keeps your body working. Like obviously we had evolved to be moving 24-7 or no, not 24-7 yeah a large portion of the day and we definitely do not move as much as we have previously in terms of thousands of years ago when we had to for survival mm -hmm. and the like and 
you see that with our body and a lot of the segments not working as well. So like say our hips get stuck in this sort of external rotation because you're sitting down, your, your feet are turned out and your knees are out there. Yeah. And then you just get locked there. And then, all right, yeah. I have no ability to internally rotate. So now my hips are getting jacked up. Now my spine's mm. not moving as it should. My pelvis is all out of whack. And yeah, just general movement, whether it be going for a walk, whether it be getting up doing some light stretching, like people get so polarized on one end of the spectrum or another, whether it be stretching is the worst thing in the world or the best thing ever. It's neither. Yeah. It's, a yeah. Tool. it's how you use it. If you've been sitting for four hours, getting up and having a 30 minute stretch might be amazing. Mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you've just spent an hour and a half stretching yourself, being pulled different ways through bands attached to a rack, like yeah. you probably don't need an extra 30 minutes there. <laughs> and it's all about giving your body what it needs on that day to, to work better, to move better, to facilitate the mm-hmm. next day. So it's all, like, it's the, the looking forward approach of like, what do I need to do today to set myself up for tomorrow? I think that's really good. Uh, especially like, um, especially using the variable, uh, variables you can control at hand. Because, uh, like I said before, during COVID, you did a lot of ISOs too, and just whatever you had at hand, you had to be creative. But then exactly. you were still looking at the, you were still using the principles that you've mastered, and hey, maybe it might be tempo work kind of thing, or like speed work, uh, just how fa- how fast the uh, bar speed moves. Because I remember seeing that on your one of your posts. Yeah, I, I, I and, have an accelerometer that I was using a fair bit as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> not everyone has that. <laughs> but like, being creative and making sure that you can manipulate what you can, do what you can to create some sort of stimulus. And just like you said, generally move around. Hey, maybe do a mobility flow. Find something online, do a mobility flow. Exactly. Like it's just going to work you towards and get that habit and bring it into when things open up uh, like up again and with um, games going on. Hey, maybe athletes can do it on their day off. So they'll feel great coming into next session, into their next practice and they'll be performing at a more efficient level. I agree entirely. Mm-hmm. Well put. Very well put. <laughs> well, very... I think that about wraps us up. That was a yeah. good block there. Great, great conversation, man. Oh, thank you. Like, I, thank you for having me. And uh, if, if you're down to do another one, I'm down to. And 100%. hopefully once flying uh, gets safer, I can make a trip down to Australia. Love and it. then Love uh, we can do something. <laughs> Definitely. We'll something up. Hopefully, I've got yeah. a van gone by then. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Too easy, man. Well, thank you, Jason. Appreciate you having thank on, you for... I think everyone's taken a, a few things from your wisdom as well. Well, yours as well. <laughs> Too easy, man. Well, I'll catch you later. Have a good one. All right. Talk soon. Bye. See you, dude.